Welcome to Millions of Screens, IndieWire's TV industry-focused podcast. I'm creative producer Leo Garcia, joined as always by TV awards editor Libby Hill and TV deputy editor Ben Travers. On today's episode, we're going to be talking Golden Globe surprises, some thoughts on the host, Emmy frontrunners, and what we thought of the parties. Really? You, is everyone tired? Yeah. We should, yeah. we should say that we are recording this <laughs> the morning after the Globes, and you guys were at a couple of parties, and I was up editing <laughs> Late into the evening. Listen, we were all listening to, in one way or another, we were all listening to Joaquin Phoenix complain about questions being thrown at him. So yeah, yeah, that's the unifying force that right. we experienced at the Golden Globes <laughs> together while apart. This is millions and millions of little screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. This week's clicker. No clicker. Do you have the clicker? I don't have the clicker. That's Sorry. why we're not doing a clicker. Yeah, that's so that we're not doing a clicker. Canceled. We're just going to talk about various uh, various aspects of the Globes last, last night. Um, maybe starting with what was the most surprising elements of the of the awards telecast? I mean, Russell Crowe. <laughs> I know that people predicted that Russell Crowe would be the uh, unlikely winner of Best Actor in a Miniseries or TV Movie, uh, thus boosting. The loudest voice back into the awards fray for the first time into the awards fray. It's really hard to say. This this felt like a um, a Showtime pick from the HFPA who loves their Showtime picks, like especially very kind of unexpected champions of of long forgotten shows, at least widely uh, dismissed. Yeah, shows? yeah just uh, shows with high profile stars. That are often creative misfires. I just remember being younger and being really excited when David Duchovny won for Californication because it felt like I was the only one who watched Californication. And it was like, wow, the Globes do too. And Why? then Matt LeBlanc won, and then The Affair won, and then, I mean, so much. Yeah, I stand by all of those, like all of those things. <laughs> yeah, critical misfires <laughs> with high profile stars. Let's well, circle back to why you were good. watching. Californication. David Duchovny. He's great. Okay. Everybody loves David Duchovny. Okay. Right. Don't defend. Uh, sure. So, Libby, aside from the, the Russell Crowe sort of curveball that the HFPA threw, what, what was your biggest surprise of the night? You know, I I wasn't, I didn't see uh, Rami Youssef coming. Um, I'm so happy he won. But uh, I didn't. I didn't expect the Globes to be a big booster of that show. And I'm glad someone is. It does feel like a, a very Globes move to take this show that was critically acclaimed, but overlooked at other awards ceremonies and 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 boost it in a way that that could make a a significant difference in the show's life moving forward. Um, so that was one of those like happy surprises that I didn't see coming at all. I mean, that's perfect momentum as season two gets ready to unveil Mahershala Ali as the recurring star. So you've got a globe win. You've got Mahersh. Yeah. People are going to watch Rami now for sure. Yeah. That's breakthrough. I will say like on our, on our Slack channel, talking about our picks as they were coming through, the refrain that kept coming up was on picks that we missed. It was just like happy to, happy to lose on this one. And like that was, that was one of those. I mean, I wasn't 
happy to lose <laughs> on Jennifer Aniston. That would have been nice for Jennifer Aniston to walk away with a morning show trophy. I love Olivia Coleman walking up and talking about how she's had too much to drink and then just giving a delightful speech and being Olivia Coleman. Like, that's fantastic. Um, and she's great in The Crown, but... I was still disappointed that Jen didn't get her her own crowning moment. I if hear you will. I hear your disappointment. I am not, but I am. I I was happy that I got that one right uh, in Olivia Coleman because again, it reinforced what I sort of believe about the Globes and the entertainment industry. And Olivia Coleman is just so hot. Like coming off of uh, the favorite last year. Bowie of the Crown, like everyone loves her. She was in, you know, the most celebrated comedy of the year in Fleabag. Like it was, it was, it was nice to, to feel like I had a window into their decision-making process. Well, and it was interesting too, because for, I think other than Rami and Russell Crowe's wins, a lot of the winners were just kind of the other one. Like if it wasn't going to be Olivia Coleman, it probably would have been Jennifer Aniston. Or if you right. pick Jennifer Aniston, then you know you got uh, Olivia Coleman. Same goes for a lot of people picked Morning Show. It turned out to be Succession. That was nice. A lot of people picked um, uh, Unbelievable. Uh, unbelievable. Which turned out to be Chernobyl. Foreign Chernobyl. turned out to be Chernobyl. That goes for like Stellan Skarsgård, uh, his win as well. Um, and you know even like you know Brian Cox beating Billy Porter. Like a lot of those things, it's just like okay, well it was probably this or that and then there were two a couple of curveballs but um that's supposed to be the thing that kind of makes the globes fun like you not being as locked in as you are uh, i mean you're usually very locked in by the time the oscars roll around because there's so many precursors um and so many you know bellwethers to be like okay well this pretty much same voting body picked this winner they're gonna pick the same one mm -hmm. at the oscars uh, the Emmys are a little looser, but because it's such a long race and because you can read so much into the nominations and because the voting body is so large, you usually have a pretty good idea of where things are going to go. So much of it boils down to the fact that it's only 90 people voting. Oh, yeah. And so, like, if one person has 26 votes and one person has 25 votes, like, that's the margin that someone won or lost by. The, the wild card aspect is supposed to make it a little more fun. And I think it usually does. It just felt like this year was kind of the show itself was just kind of a downer to me. It was a weird downer. I mean, sh sh this might be a great segue. <laughs> Speaking of weird downers. <laughs> uh, Ricky Gervais, guys, coming lukewarm out the gate. I, I argue stone cold out the gate. Like literally walks to the podium, whatever says I'm never doing this again. Whatever temperature his beer was, was about, <laughs> well, was probably the temperature. I mean, he is British, so it might be kind of like room temp. It was definitely flat, which, you know, Good for you. Maybe um, it was just apple juice. <laughs> I mean, that's that'd be the best. <laughs> that would be the most fitting metaphor for all of this, because it just felt forced. Like I, I, I feel like everybody, everybody that I read after the Globes had a similar reaction to Ricky Gervais in that his shtick is so familiar, but also it wasn't even well executed this year. Um, usually he tries to come out and say something provocative and then reacts to that provocation. And this time he didn't even really wait, nor did he say anything that provocative. Like a joke about Felicity Huffman making license plates is gonna set the room on fire. Like I know Tom Hanks had a great reaction to this, but it's like, that's it. Like it's not like the whole room was was boiling over. He never reached that peak. He couldn't find it. Well, He just forced it into 
feeling that way by saying, I don't care and drinking his beer and dropping an F-bomb. Yeah. I, that's the thing. It's like a lot has been read into this Tom Hanks reaction shot. But at the same time, <laughs> isn't it just as likely that Tom Hanks was like, oh, shit, this none of this is funny. Like, yeah. like none of this. They cut to Amy Poehler at one point and she did the most polite smile. And I think she they I think she liked Ricky Gervais at some point. Like he was sort of in that in that group. Well, I mean, he would hang out with those people. He was the inspiration. He created one of the greatest comedies in television history and spawned another very popular comedy series in television history in the U.S. remake of The Office. But well, and if you go back, so I watched the opening monologue he did for his first hosting gig 10 years ago, back in, in 2010. And it's worth noting that that. Ricky was what the second host ever at the Golden Globes. Like they didn't have a lot of hosts before they decided to start giving the the microphone over to Ricky. Um, and he started off the night by talking about The Office. He started off the night by talking about like Steve Carell was nominated that year. He was in the audience. He started by making a joke about how you know Steve Carell is such a great actor. Where could he have ever found all of those you know reactions and made things so uncomfortable? And then you know Ricky points at himself saying like he took it from me. Then he talks about how you can buy the original UK Office on DVD. Um, then he says like a couple of, of like more, I guess, provocative jokes for the time. He has a long spiel about actors. What would we do if actors went on strike? What would we do without actors? And then he said something about like how who else like Kiefer Sutherland, who else could go and like, you know, punch somebody and be also convincing that they're the president. Uh, and then, you know, oh, wait, I thought that was just an outtake uh, when actually it was like, Kiefer Sutherland just likes punching people. So he's making people uncomfortable in the room and looking directly at them while he says that he had a, an interactive bit with Steve Carell when he was talking about The Office. So like he's trying to get in that first year, he's trying to get the people in the room to be up and excited and, and reacting and create that kind of buzzy, weird, who knows what's going to happen feeling. And this year it just felt like he walked out and he did a lot of the same stuff. He talked about his show. Yeah. He talked about Netflix. Yeah. He talked about himself a lot. Yeah. He talked about how he is provocative and he will not apologize for it. Yeah. But he didn't actually take the time to craft any bits with any of the people. He didn't take the time to even craft a lot of his jokes. The one about the one that uh, I believe we wrote an article about where he said that he spoke to the HFPA about not nominating any women directors and they agreed with the studios to just never hire women directors again because then they can't feel excluded. No one understood that joke. Like it wasn't provocative. It was like you kind of get that he was trying to be that because he's talking about women directors and he's not like making fun of his like the HFPA and he's not really making fun of the studios, but the delivery was all over the map. You just didn't get it. And that's what the whole night felt like. It felt like he just kind of knew, well, I can hit that buzzy word and it's going to sound outrageous. Yeah, I have a big beef with that joke specifically coming from my background only because it's all about who the target is. Yeah. And you, oh. can, you can you can joke about any subject provided the target you're punching up and not punching down. And I think that joke specifically, like to your point, he has the buzzword of, oh, there's controversy about no women directors being hired. But the actual punchline is don't complain you have jobs. Don't complain about not being recognized. Be thankful that you're even allowed to direct. That's sort of the crux of his punchline. That's what it. Yeah, it's that's what it comes up. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like the the joke about not doing an in memoriam because there weren't enough 
like black people, like there weren't minorities enough that, minorities that passed away. not doing an in memoriam because there weren't enough min- minorities included. Like he's just, it's not offensive. They're just not funny. Like, I, I don't know, having a rich white guy stand on stage and call everyone else in the room a hypocrite because they don't do enough um, and then plug his Netflix show. And then like, it's just, he has no self-awareness. He is one of them. I nearly slammed right into him when I was leaving the Netflix party where he was coming to party with all of the other celebrities. Like he's, he wants to pretend like he's this outsider, but he's just not everything. Everything you said was right, Leo. Like he only punches down. That's the entire reason I didn't want him hosting in the first place is that he's he's openly transphobic on Twitter and often breaks brags to people about how much money he has for telling jokes. And like just so then to see him up there trying to call other people on the carpet was ridiculous. And and there was no way that any humor could bloom out of that. Not because there were topics that you can't joke about, but because he was joking about the wrong people, he has no sense of self-awareness. And he's just kind of a hack now. Yeah, it's it's the hypocrisy and the laziness came together in such a way last night that I I couldn't believe that there's even that that even his you know fiercely loyal Twitter trolls are defending him. Like it, it's are you going to talk about the bingo card? <laughs> well, the bingo card is you know a problem in and of itself. But what I was going to say was that at the start of the show, he kind of ended his monologue by like, hey. Don't say anything political. Don't get all preachy. You're a bunch of actors. You don't know anything. And he ended the show by saying, like, everybody remember Australia. Let's, you know, pay attention to our climate crisis and care for all the animals and blah, blah, blah. Like, everything. Like, and that was him kind of reacting to what everybody did during the show during the show against what he told them very earnestly not to do. Um, but it also was just like, he doesn't care. Like, he he doesn't care to the point where he's not trying anymore. And even if you did like his his shtick and you could ignore the fact that he's punching down a lot and you could ignore the fact that he is a, a problematic individual, he didn't even deliver a professional hosting performance last night. And that is like, okay, this should be the last time. Like, can that really, can we really just move on? Like, let's I think find I, someone else. Ho- I, the ho- having a host is not the problem either. So don't start the whole, like, yeah. not you guys, but like in general, we shouldn't have the conversation. Well, we don't need a host at all. No, hosts are great. I love Just, hosts. You know, choose a wisely. little more careful. Choose wisely. I will say that I did not realize, Ben, until you mentioned it, that actually Gervais's first hosting stint was the first time they had a host in 15 years, uh, which was a one-year experiment back mm-hmm. then with, I think, Janine Turner and John Larroquette, which such a, yeah, Leo's face. God, I wish you guys could see Leo's face right now. So anyway... It, I, I get why HFPA keeps returning to this well, but it's like they totally forgot the Tina Fey and Amy Poehler years where, I, I don't know, it's just... Um, Kate McKinnon could have hosted. Kate McKinnon would kill it. Charlie's Theron could have hosted. Um, oh, so good. I think that's the thing. Like, we've, we've discussed this before. I don't think anybody would argue that hosting an award show is a very difficult thing to do. And you know, you're guaranteed to be met with criticism. There's almost, there's not really a universe in which a host wins every single person over yeah. and does some, and and everybody is perfectly happy with it. Um, the, the bar is high. But that's the, that's the deal with 
literally everything that you do as a professional in your life. And you're going to get paid and you're going to get out in the world and you're going to speak to the public and you can, you know, make the most of it and make a good impression and benefit your career and benefit a lot of people around you and choose kind of who you want to highlight and bring into the room and bring into the spotlight with you. And there's so many benefits to it that I wish we'd stop focusing on the negatives. It's just that, you know, when, when somebody doesn't give a shit about it, I think that's that, what you got to talk about. That is pr- predominantly the feeling that I got. It's just like, if I had to sum up his entire performance in one word, it's like lazy. Yeah. Le- legitimately, he didn't even try to be more provocative than everyone assumed he could be. You don't even want him to be, you know, offensive or whatever, but he wasn't even like trying to break new ground in those. No. And then, and then he hides behind it. Like his yeah. whole shtick is, I told you, I don't care. Are, I told you that like, yeah. I'm just here to do my thing and get out and the globes are stupid. So like, who cares? And it's like, fuck off. Like, trust you me, know? no, no one thinks that like the self-congratulations of award shows can be tedious more than I do. But I'm as, as Libby pointed out, I'm not a mega rich person who works in inside that machinery like if they got someone who's like a brand new comic be like this is very silly <laughs> like you guys yeah. are all super rich what do you guys you guys are just giving each other gold trophies this is crazy <laughs> but the fact that like he himself has won gold trophies and is like yeah he, he's part of this machinery that rings hollow to be like oh you rich assholes you don't get to to talk about anything it also just it sets a bad precedent for a night where everyone is going to go up there and thank people for the award. Everybody is going to go up there and say, I'm so honored to have this. I'm so honored to be here. This means so much to me. And, you know, when it's 80 random journalists from the Hollywood Foreign Press, it really shouldn't mean as much as when everybody in the TV Academy gives you an award or everybody at the Film Academy gives you an award and, and your community literally rallies around you to hand it over. But you'll look at a speech like Tom Hanks gives and... That's it. Like, that's great. He found it and it meant something. And it meant something to us to watch him do that and remember his work in that moment. And that was really special. And um, that came like, what, two thirds of the way through the show. And I don't understand time. There were too too many things happening. I have no idea where anything happened in the show. I was looking for like a clip of uh, when uh, Bong won. Mm. And like, I, I, th- I was like, I think that's like in the last third of the show. And I'm like going through all my like oh, recordings. No. <laughs> and there's like, no, it was, it was like, pretty early. <laughs> yeah. like, time, I lost all sense of time yeah. in, in, in that room. It, it, I think people don't always comprehend how little of the Golden Globes you're able to watch when you're covering the Golden Globes. Because, you know, at some point you have your head down, you're... Uh, you may be transcribing a speech that's happening on stage while or what that's happening backstage while awards are still being given on stage. And uh, then at some point you have to stop and write because that's what we're all getting paid for. And um, so I, I got bits and pieces of Tom Hanks speech, but mostly I was just like, this has been going on forever. We still have 12 awards left and it's 9 p.m. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely lose sense of. I think the only thing I was able to see in its totality was the opening monologue. <laughs> like that was it. And then from that point forward, there were things happening backstage and on stage, sort of concurrently. And I'm also like editing things that have audio. To that end, Ben, the and the best thing about award shows now are when people like Michelle Williams, like Patricia Arquette, uh, like Russell Crowe's sent in message are taking that time and that spotlight. And that stage 
to advocate for issues that matter to them and more importantly, matter to the rest of us. Um, if anything, that's what award shows are about now is taking that little gold trophy and making it into something that matters more. Well, I'd, I'd agree with that. And I would also argue that it is a good, it like the, the Tom Hanks thing. Yes, he ran a little long. He was oh, on I, cold medicine. It it was something where it was fine to me as one of the viewers just because after that opening montage of all of his work and then seeing him go up there and kind of hit all of these right notes and talk to people in the crowd and tell these stories, it also works as a reminder of we really should appreciate the people while we've got them and we really should appreciate the work when it's that well done. And yeah, you get hung up on, you know, your personal favorites and your personal, the ones you really don't want to win. And then they do. And you're like, well, I'm sick of this. This is, you know, annoying and bullshitty and whatever it is. Um, but you know, the, the host, the show and the winners can all work together to showcase the actual talent of the people in the room. We talk about actors and a lot of, you know, movies and TV, more than we should as a community over the other people out in the world who are doing wonderful, important things. But if we are going to take the time to honor them, then let's honor them and let's showcase it. Like I will always go back to that Hugh Jackman Oscars opening when he brought in all the people and he did this big song and dance. And for not one second, did you think, holy shit, this guy doesn't know what he's doing or he's right. not trying or he you know doesn't care. He cared and he pulled it off and it was a great number. Right. And you're in that moment like, holy shit, Hugh Jackman can sing. Holy shit, he can dance. Holy shit, Anne Hathaway sounds great. Like all these people he's bringing in, all the jokes he's making, like they connect in a way where you're excited for everybody there. And when Billy Crystal was good, he could do the same thing. Um, and usually it does involve kind of having a helping hand, like getting other people involved to show like, this is why we're here to honor them. I, I completely agree, Ben. I completely agree. That is the platonic ideal of award shows. I mean, I think there's also there something ideal. when when you're talking about honoring someone like Tom Hanks or like remembering these people while they're while they're around. There's also an element of, and this might link to, sort of being there and then you guys being at the after parties. Like, we get this sense of celebrity and it's twisted, but these are just like people, and you, you're used to seeing them on like on your big screen or on in in movies, and so you think of them as like these giant things that aren't you know, tangible. They're flesh and blood just like everyone else. Yeah, no, and, and again, like, Hanks tied so many people in the room together when he was talking, like the love boat quip at the beginning and then mm -hmm. going back to Charlie's intro and talking about her audition and then, I mean, just kind of pointing out people in the room. Like, I, I, And it's great to feel that way. And I still, I still don't get over the sensation of, like, watching the thing on TV that I watched as a kid from rural Illinois. And then now, as soon as the show ends, I'm you know, either walking or hopping into my car and just driving to the place where it just happened and seeing all the people who were there. Like, it's surreal and it's very strange. And it is grounding in a sense of, like, the practicality of just getting in and out of there is so oh my complicated God. and so exhausting. And so many people that you recognize from shows are, like, standing in line with you to get on the shuttle and you're like, oh, okay, this is just how it is for 99.9% .9 of people. Like, I don't think Marty Scorsese was on the shuttle last night, but... You know, a lot of people were. So, um, yeah, it's it's an interesting, strange, definitely grounding feeling of of this is the community, and they're gonna have they're gonna try to have a good time, 
So with that being said, do you guys want to talk at all about the parties that you guys went? Is there any more to talk about? They were wild. Uh, I went to a couple. I, I ended up at Disney's, which was very strange because Disney involves so many entities now. So you go to the Disney party and it's also the fuck. It's also the FX party. It's the it. There was a lot going on up there. Uh, the Hulu party. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. The you FX got this. on Hulu party. <laughs> Yeah, all of all of those properties, boys. Thank you. The Marvel um, party? Yeah, I wish. There was no Marvel party. <laughs> Every God. day's a Marvel party. Ugh. Uh, next right. year, Ben. Next year. For what? No. When, the, when the Marvel shows start coming out. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> I think I've upset him. Well, the thing is that- I mean, there will be a Marvel party. No. As at the Disney party, uh, <laughs> it was- uh, that was my first stop of the night. It was kind of sparsely. They were in a very strange space. Um, it, there was a lot of room to move around. No one had really started dancing yet. I didn't spot anyone that I recognized. But the downside is that they were located on the roof and some Santa Ana winds blew up last night. So the food table where they had sushi uh, was kind of, sorry, buddy, was uh, kind of caught in the midst of a, a gale force wind. Um, oh no! Did and if sushi, you were wearing, sushi rain down? No, no, it was not. They did not go full uh, off the roof. Although I full did squid. Yeah, raining squid. There was no raining squid. Wrong, wrong outlet. Um, but it was it was nice. It was nice. And then I uh, ran into Ben at the old Warner Media party. Yeah, where Warner they Media. had where I assume to celebrate Watchmen, they had squid. Mm-hmm octopus rather that mm. they were the whole succession team was just parked in the center of the room yeah they had their reserve table they were not moving brian cox moved around a little bit because i saw him at the door when i came in um but like kieran Culkin was just holding court and oh yeah nicholas holt was like sitting down no. next to him but they Braun. were basically sorry yeah Braun. but they were basically i don't know like like a half a foot apart from each other because he's a giant but how could they even hear it was it was not that loud in there Oh, there was a lot of leaning. There okay. was it, the nice thing about Nicholas Braun being at these parties is that you can always tell where the succession mm-hmm. crew is because <laughs> he's about a full head taller than most other people, which was a delight. So yeah, the succession crew was there holding court. Um, yeah, that was it. Was a crowded party. Uh, they covered the pool for those uh, familiar with the Beverly Hilton, and uh, it's always a strange some, sensation walking I know, over that. I've never seen it before. It was bananas. But yeah, that was that was a good one. It was crowded, but I think the crown jewel of the night, especially according to everyone I spoke to, was the, of course, Netflix party. Um, it was packed, and everyone was there, including Brian Cox. Um, so, which was kind of delightful in its own way. But uh, it was a happening place. Like they had their their usual slippers and shoe check for women who were uninterested in continuing to wear their heels, which makes a lot of sense. Um, the spread was great. It was a great environment. And uh, yeah, the parties were pretty happening. Yeah. And that, that comes after Netflix only won, what, two of its 17 trophies? Or yeah, one in, 17 film, nominations. one in film, one in TV. But you have to figure... You know, the the one thing that Gervais said that might have actually been true is that everyone kind of works for Netflix now. Everyone has a project in development or has worked for Netflix or does work for Netflix. So 
you know, it's nice to go somewhere that has the space to contain you and also that writes your paychecks. I will say one of the most interesting backstage, uh, it was like lost in all of the, there's so much stuff happening. Someone asked Carolyn Strauss about HBO with HBO Max coming and she's like at, at an arm's length from, you know, she's worked on a bunch of HBO shows, but she's not completely in the machinery and her thing was just like, well, I think the HBO brand means something and I hope that that doesn't get lost during these, uh, these big changes. It was like, wow. It was like a very tempered, Shady. tempered, like, hey, I would hope that nothing will shift, but who knows? Well, I'm not making all the decisions. Well, right. I mean, HBO Max borrowing HBO's name for programming that is not exclusively HBO's is, does stand a risk to dilute HBO's brand. So, it makes sense. Like, it's nice to know there were some questions that were good back there. Um, I would I would point out before we wrap up just the, the because we're doing this Monday morning, the early ratings came in from last night uh, and they're down about 6% in total viewership and 16% in the demo. Um, very wisely pointed out shortly underneath that opening graph is that the uh, football lead-in that so often boosts the Golden Globes ratings uh, was diminished because the game ended about 20 minutes before the ceremony yes. as opposed to about five minutes before last year. Also, so, it was trash. Also, it was a pretty bad game. So it's not going to be, I don't think, I mean, we'll see what the final numbers say and kind of how the HFPA reacts, but those don't, those aren't disastrous numbers. No. Those are just kind of like, well, that sounds about right for how things are skewing TV wise, how things, you know, depend on uh, the NFL to, to boost mm -hmm. just about anything. Um, and also you're not doing much with, you're not, you're not offering big changes with the ceremony. So. They're phoning it in numbers. Yep. And if they're going to phone it in, they're going to get phoned in numbers. And I guess they should just take those and be happy. As for Emmy stakes for all of these, I think succession is really well positioned, um, heading into the larger Emmy race. They did what they need to do too. The morning show did not do what it needed to do. And I'm not sure what that trajectory looks moving into, uh, further into 2020 into this Emmy season. Um, I still think Unbelievable's doing well. Yeah. I mean, Chernobyl is such a, yeah. Uh, the things that they lost to were, was uh, content from 2019 from earlier to in 2019 that uh, did very well at the, at the Emmys in many cases, winning mm -hmm. uh, in Michelle Williams, Chernobyl. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd, I, the the hmm. the Golden Globes don't reflect what the Emmys will do that much. But as far as the conversations that will spur out of this heading into the guilds in, in the upcoming weeks, it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. Yeah, I'm really excited for the SAGs now because it's almost the perfect scenario where Succession, which was snubbed at the SAGs, right. won two major Globes. Right. Whereas the morning show which did very well at the SAGs, at least, I mean, it didn't get the ensemble, but it got three nominations, uh, didn't get anything at the Globes. So it's like, are they just going to start a little battle here? Like, can the morning show actually win yeah. some awards at the SAGs and, and get itself into the, Gosh, the conversation? Again? I hope but, not. <laughs> I was going to say, this is what Ben Travers hopes happens. Yeah. Just for Jen. I just want Jen to win. Speaking of which... Where are my sandwiches? Ah, yes. I was They're waiting coming. to get to this one. It's 9.42. Yeah, so it's, it's breakfast time. I didn't know you time. wanted a breakfast sandwich. 
Oh, uh, maybe I should request breakfast sandwiches. Subway makes them. Yeah. So for oh, li- no, for no, listeners no, who no, listened no. last week, uh, we did put a sandwich bed on our picks. Uh, Libby won. Ben came in second, and I came in uh, a distant third. <laughs> big swings, though, um, man. Yeah, big I mean, swings. I, I was I was taking chances. I was out on a couple of limbs. I mean, really pulling for Kit there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah just you buddy <laughs> i ran into him and i think we're the same height oh yeah but you're six four i am six four <laughs> I, ran, I just realized i ran listeners. into I ran in jason momoa and i realized we're the same height are you also wearing a black tank i was i did i was wearing my my most black tie black tank Blonde, <laughs> just pop that suit jacket off underneath <laughs> yeah welcome to the gun show pulling it off yeah i pulled it off literally uh, pulled it off So, Ben, it's that, that time of the pod. We, we have to ask Libby. Libby, do you have a show on Quibi yet? No, but we're in talks. Oh, great. Oh, did you run into Jeffrey Katzenberg at the party? Or Meg parties? I ran into a man on the street corner downtown who was yelling, and it sounded like he said something like Quibi. Okay. Anyway, we're negotiating. Fantastic. With the man. Yeah. <laughs> great. <laughs> Leo, I feel I feel like the pod will continue I think, for a little I think, I think we're safe. I feel like maybe Quibi never, is never going to exist. Uh, I think I'm a man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think a little bit. I mean, it's going to exist, but I don't know. Uh, I, I think it's going to, I don't know how long it's going to exist. Three and a half weeks. I really thought Quibi was going to say, uh, hey. I really thought Libby was going to say, uh, it's one of those things where you guys fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> That's some classic Ricky Gervais style comedy. Oh, <laughs> man. Sorry. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Quibi, I think Quibi might be C so far, too, but that's just me. Why isn't Quibi at the TCAs? I don't think it exists. They've definitely made things. I know mm. people who have produced things for them. The question is. Sure. Did the what, checks clear? Uh, I'm sure the checks cleared. The question is, is the stuff good? Or are they still trying to figure out how to get it, how they're going to deliver it, what the delivery system is? Quibi is supposed to launch in April. Why aren't they at the TCAs? That's an excellent question for your TCA board members, Ben Travers. We still have time with Libby, and that's all that matters. She doesn't have a show on Quibi. That's good. Millions of Screens is a production of the Penske Media Corporation and IndieWire. Our theme music features excerpts of the classic YouTube video, Bjork talking about her TV, and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Our editor-in-chief is Dana Harris-Brideson. Our publisher is James Israel. And our executive editor is Ann Donahue. You can find us on Twitter at A Million Screens, at Midwest Spitfire, at Ben T. Travers, and at Leo Adrian Garcia. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Uh, If you can, please like, subscribe, throw a review on there. We think it helps. Um, This is Ben, Libby, and Leo. Mind you, as always, that you shouldn't let poets lie to you. You shouldn't let poets lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast. (laughs) With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.